You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. And joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid 5. Squid first half, how are we doing today? And secondly, the guy we have today with joining us today, you're pretty familiar with, and Nikki Antropov. Yeah, no, I'm doing good, Mike. And, uh, you know, Nikki, I, I never played with him, obviously, but, you know, I really got to know him on various trips with the alumni, uh, especially at the Leaf training camps where we play alumni games and so on. And I, I got to tell you, he, he's an unbelievable player uh, in those alumni <laughs> games with his size and his reach and his skating ability, puck handling skills and I I I love playing with the guy because I just say I give him the puck and I say okay go ahead you know and he does all the work and but the funny thing was well I'll get into it with him because I I remember talking to him about uh shooting more and I said holy cow I said if I had a coach you I said you would have probably scored 35 40 goals a year yeah <laughs> well I had the experience of playing with him in the Baycrest. And I got, just for the listeners out there, to give you an idea what type of guy is. And this is a story I'm dropping on you for the first time, too. He, Johnny Cook, who runs Westwood, Chesswood, all that, he put the team in. So Cook and I were playing on the same lines. We're sitting on the bench, and Nicky's on the ice. And we're playing this team. He's our pro with us. So And you've played in the Baycrest many years. So you know all about this. So in the last game, we're smoking this team. And there's a minute, less than a minute left in the game. And Nicky, I think, had just scored. So he's standing at center ice, and he's leaning over talking to the guy next to him who wasn't much of a player. So I'm wondering, what's he saying to this guy? So all of a sudden, the puck drops. They start yelling at each other and start swearing and screaming. So everybody in the ice stops and go, what the hell are these guys yelling about? And so then Nicky grabs the guy, and he throws him on the ice, and he jumps on him, and they're wrestling around fighting. So obviously, I have about a minute. Like, everybody's just stunned. I'm looking at Cookie like, what's he doing? He gets up, hugs the guy. Skates right over to Cookie, who's the run in the team, and says, I wanted to be the first guy in the Baycrest to get a Gordy Hell hat trick. So I offered the guy 100 bucks to fight me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole bench just uh, roared with laughter. And, and, and he paid the guy the $100, and the guy donated to the charity. So, I mean, <laughs> what a guy. Uh, probably took him quite a few years when he got here to figure out what a Gordy Howe hat trick was. <laughs> Well, he knew right away. Well, and for those out there who don't know what it is, it's the Gordie Howe hat trick named after Gordie Howe. It's a, it's a goal and assist and a fight all in the same game. And the interesting thing is Gordie only had to in his whole career. And I'm yeah. happy to report that the all-time leader is my old friend from Scarborough, Ontario, Ricky Tocker, who had 18. So there you go, oh, wow. the Gordie Howe hat trick. And Nicky has one in the Baycrest. He had the, he's the leader in the Baycrest <laughs> tournament. So now... Squid, before we bring Nikki on, our Maple Leafs. We're recording this on Thursday, so they're about to play Vancouver tonight. But since mm-hmm. we spoke to you guys last, it's been a pretty good week. So let's let's just do a little review of what's gone on. They played four games. They went 4-0. They had two shutouts. They gave up two goals, used three goalies. I, I would say that's a pretty good week. I would say that's a perfect week. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, the funny thing was watching things and saying, well, 
they'd be the first team ever to play three goalies in three games in a row against the same team who, who all won. And I'm thinking, well, normally you would never play a team three times in a row. Yeah. I mean, that just doesn't happen in the National Hockey League, let alone three different goalies. But you know what? I love the way that they defended against Edmonton. I, you know, never mind the goals and everything else. And they did it without Matthews and Anderson, obviously, the first mm-hmm. two games. Um, but but I, I was really impressed with how they shut down Edmonton. Wouldn't let them gain access to the zone freely. And uh, anytime McDavid or Dreisaitl got the puck, they were on them very, very quickly and took everything away from them. I, I was really, really impressed. Well, all you have to do is look at the backup goalies now before the game tonight. So we're doing this in front of this and Campbell's supposed to start this evening. So we'll be talking about this next week, but the goalies were six and one with a 946 save percentage and a 1.98 goals against average last year. Hutch was seven, 12 and two with an 8892 save percentage along with a 3.47 goals against average. I don't think you have to look any further than that to explain where the team is coming from and why they're at the top of the standings. Exactly. And well, I mean, I, I believe it was a 55th or 56th game last year before the backup goalies got yeah. the fifth win for the Maple Leafs. I mean, so if you look at it that way and look at what they've done already, I mean, it's incredible. Uh, but I, I just think the team as a whole are playing so much better as a team and better defensive zone, uh, which is leading to some good offensive chances. And you know, they're, they're playing lights out right now. And uh, I don't expect anything to change in Vancouver either. No, I mean, it sure looks that way. I mean, you've got secondary scoring starting to come up. Even Bessie got a couple yeah. of goals last night. I mean, Spez was playing like he's 25 years old. They finally found, looks like, the, the makings of a third line, which has just been playing exceptionally well. And as he must have been listening to the podcast last week because – Engvall must have took our advice to just start playing like he used to play like, and he has, and look at the game he's come up with in the last week. That's the, and evil funny thing is even Keith, he must've been listening too, because he made a comment in the paper that go back to playing the way you were relaxed, use that skating ability, your size and your shot. And guess what? He's playing lights out and the rest of the, and the other two guys with them are going with them. Yeah. And and I mean, there are are three guys that have high, high energy, you know, Hyman, Mikheyev and Engvall. They're they're all three of them are very good in their own zone. They're very good at getting on in on the four check. They they all skate well. I I mean, they're a perfect line. I mean, a perfect energy line or a line to shut down another team's top line. They can do it very, very easily. And and they also get some opportunities because of that. Absolutely. And uh, I think there was an, an, a lot of surprise faces last night. You'd be looking at that highlight of Mikhaev racing McDavid down the boards and beating him to that puck. Yeah. Own, yeah. <laughs> just, it's all, there's still, we're not any halfway through the season yet. So, but so far looks great. All things according to plan and keep going according to plan. Uh, it, it's very optimistic moving forward. And as I like to say in the stock market, the trend is moving the right way. <laughs> so yeah. very positive so far. And we're just going to leave it at that. So our our moment now is this day in history. And here's one for you, Squid. On March the 6th, 1920, you don't see this too often. Toronto loaned their goaltender, Howard Locker, to Quebec for the game who was out of goalie. They then smoked them 11-2. But rookie Ricky Roach scored five goals that game, and it was the first player in Toronto history to do that. Nine players have scored five or six goals since then as a Toronto player, but 
there's that little tidbit for you today. And secondly, on March the 6th, 1993, a kid by the name of Wayne Gretzky was the first player to get 2,300 points in NHL history. But listen to this. He did it in his 1,026th game. 2,300 points in 1,026 games. I mean, they marvel at the players today getting 40 points in, you know, 24 games, 25 games. But think about those numbers. And anyway, that's it's funny. You, it's funny you mentioned that because I always thought that, you know, his numbers, I don't think are reachable. Um, and I saw the other day where, you know, big whoop to do about, you know, which I, I you know, 400 goals is, is no easy task. Don't get me wrong. But Patrick Kane in his 900 and whatever game scored his 400th goal. And I'm thinking like, okay, like it was like four or five years ago when Shane Doan played his 1600th game and got his 400th goal and everybody was talking about how unbelievable that was. And I was thinking, wait a minute, like you look at some of the guys like Gretzky and Bossy and Lemieux and those guys and what they did, that's incredible. It really is. And I mean, it's just, uh, but I mean, it's all different era, different time zones, different players, equipment, all that stuff. So regardless, it doesn't matter. It was done and it is something remarkable. I, I saw something on Instagram about similar things like that. What would be the hardest to break? And it was a 58 game hitting streak. Uh, can't remember the general name now. Uh, it was uh, Gretzky's points. Uh, it was Gretzky's 92 goals in a season. <laughs> and, I, I, and, and it was uh, Baltimore, uh, the third baseman who played 2,600 oh, yeah. games. Yeah. Cal Ripken. And I'm thinking, geez, I don't know. I don't know which one of these would be the hardest. They're all pretty darn hard to break. They're all pretty remarkable, they, that's for sure. So anyway, that's yeah. uh, just another another one to mark up for uh, uh, Uncle Wayne, and uh, we're happy to see that one. That one, I think, will be sitting there for some time. So I think, Squid, oh, I, I think so. they've heard enough about us. We don't want to jinx our guys anymore, so we don't want to talk anymore about it. Leave it just to let them keep winning, and uh, we'll turn it over yeah. and listen to hear what Nick has to say. Squid, our guest today, was the 10th overall pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 1998. Enjoyed a 19-year career as a pro, spent mostly with the Leafs, where he was a big part of successes in the early part of 2000. At six foot six, along with Alexei Panikarotsky, that's easy for me to say, Joe Newendike, and even Matt Sundin, they formed a line dubbed the Skyline with the size of these guys. On another note, Skid, Squid, Skid, do you want to feel really old? This he guy, said no filter, so this is guy good. was born on the day you were traded to Toronto, February 18th, 1980. Now, I also should remember that day because that's Debbie's birthday, so I better not forget that. Anyway, he still continues to work with the Leafs in the development side. Our guest today is Nick Antropov. Nicky, how you doing? What's up, guys? Yeah, all good. You? Well, we're hanging in here. Uh, you know, Squid needs a haircut. I think I... I Got one. I'm in Florida, so I got one a couple of weeks ago. They allowed the stores to be open. It looks like you could use a haircut. So everything's yeah, doing could, well yeah. here. How you coping with the? Uh, needs, how you coping Squid with the COVID? Get, I'm okay. I, I was gonna say Squid needs to get on the ice, not the haircut, but yeah, <laughs> I do. I haven't been on the ice since last March. But, uh, it's one year. Yeah, the alumni games and everything. We gotta. 
Well, I would think probably in the fall. I think we'll probably get back into it in like November, December, probably, uh, hopefully. But uh, anyway, so. so you were picked. You were picked tenth overall, Nick, uh, back in nineteen ninety eight. Ninety eight. What What was your feeling when you came to like when you came to Toronto, the first camp and everything? Uh, aside from the the language, perhaps. Uh, what were some of your biggest hurdles? Well, I well, where do I start? I guess let me start from uh, before even I get drafted, or what when I get to the draft. Uh, I up until about age fifteen, I, fourteen, fifteen, I have no, I had no idea what NHL is. I had no idea, literally, like there is this, all I knew is the Russian Super League. That's my highest level. That, my dream to play on at the time and then uh, like I said then uh, we had uh, every Saturday morning for from 9 to 9 30 we had a NHL highlights they start showing it once a week so they're showing like you know those uh, the old school uh, old school like Rock'em Sock'em by Don Cherry 10 yeah. hits or 10 best hits 10 best mm -hmm. saves and 10 best uh -huh. goals but that's the only NHL uh viewing or whatever it, I, I've seen before like I've, before that point I had no idea what NHL is and then uh, the draft time came and my agent my Russian agent called me like hey pack your bags within a month get your visa ready we're going to draft to NHL draft and I'm like uh, uh, what's NHL draft like what's <laughs> what's what it is right and literally I had no idea like it sounds like silly but that's true. And then I went to the draft. We came to Toronto, drove Buffalo, and uh, I have no idea. There was like 20,000 people or 18,000 people in the stands, you know, watching just the draft. I'm like, what's happening? There's no ice up there. Like, what do we do? Like, what do I do? <laughs> so I, had, I was completely clueless what's what's happening around me. Thank God I was like 10 or 9 guys went in front of me, so I kind of know my route if I, my name got called up so just go down the stairs shake your hands with Gary Batman get, get on stage get your jersey and then whatever I don't know but uh, back to your point uh, after I get drafted obviously well I'll first of all first, when uh, you got after you got drafted though after you got drafted you, you stayed one more year in Russia yeah. was that your decision or yeah. was that was that a Maple Leaf decision so as far as I know, so yeah, so the option for me was to stay here and play major junior. I, I think I got drafted a week later with the European draft for the OHL for Brampton Battalion. I think I was like a second overall on that one and uh, or go back to Russia. So Leafs were kind enough, you know, so they, they kind of loaned me back to Russia because I already had a contract with them because mm -hmm. like I said, I had no idea that I'm gonna be get, going get drafted because the combines. No, no, I never went to combines the in the in May, right? So I had no idea if they want to get drafted or whatever. Like I'm not sure. So I signed the deal with Moscow Dynamo at the time, and then Relief were kind enough sent me back there for a year, which I think was uh, well. Now looking back, it was a good choice, I guess, because I, I was kind of playing against the men already as an 18 year old play against men. Uh, I think it's a huge advantage, you know, to, in, in your growth, hockey growth. And then, uh, yeah, the first Leafs camp, everything was new to me. No, like you said, language barrier was the huge hurdle for me. 
but other than that, it's like a hockey. So I just adjusted as as I go, as I went. You know, every day was something new, but I adjusted, adjusted, and made a lineup. Uh, not an opening day, but I think uh, two, three games after that. Well, when you went into camp, so here you are, you're 19 year old. Well, you got drafted at 18. You're a 19 year old kid flying across the ocean to come and play for this team in a in the NHL, which you knew for a few years. But <laughs> strange country, new language. What was your mindset really going into camp that ended? Who were the first guys to kind of speak to? Or did the guys help you out? And did the Leafs sit you down and walk you through what you should expect? Or how did it really all unfold for you? Or did you just go by the seat of your pants? I just literally went day by day. I had no expectation whatsoever. Yeah. Like, uh, like going forward, maybe six, seven, or maybe even eight years from that, from, from my first camp. So, like I said, thinking back now, you know, sitting back and thinking back, like, like, like I don't even know how I survived this, you know, like, uh, harsh, I would say harsh environment too. Like, I mean, being first rounder, 10th overall for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, like, like every North American kid would probably like golden, like, you know, like, uh, oh my man, they expect so much from me. I had no idea anything, all the inside scoops and stuff like that. I had no idea. So I, like I said, I just went day by day. I didn't, I didn't know so much pressure was putting on me at this age right away, you know, because my mentality, like, like I said, now I'm lived, lived here more than I lived back in uh, my hometown. So it's been almost 22 years in Canada. So now I'm, I'm thinking like probably, you know, like so much pressure was at the time, but I had, I didn't realize that. I just went day by day and survived 10 years in Toronto. <laughs> Let's put it this way. <laughs> well, maybe that, was a, maybe that was a better thing. You didn't, you didn't have any expectations and you Agreed. were just, you just played yourself and you're just nice and relaxed. 100% agreed. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. If imagine at 19, there is so much pressure on you, put it before even you step on the ice, like after the draft. Yeah. 10th overall, Toronto Maple Leafs, first rounder, high expectation, probably expecting to make a lineup right away. Like, I had no clue about this. So, and you weren't a guy actually that, that didn't stand out on the ice at six foot six playing forward. So, they would notice who you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Squid. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I never thought about that, but you know, I was fifth overall, and you know, like expectations were high and everything else. I mean, I had already played a year in the WHA, so it was a little bit easier for me. And of course, played junior in Canada before that. Uh, I can't even imagine what it would be like coming over uh, from where you came from and being tenth overall. And yeah, you're right. I mean, there's maybe not knowing about all the pressure and, and, you know, everything was probably better off than knowing everything. I, I would think. I think so. Yeah. So that, I like, would like it that way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, now you did spend some time in the AHL and, and uh, you know, see so you in St. John's, how was that experience for you playing? Uh, yeah. So my first year, so I was the last cut off, like cut two, three days before NHL season starts. So I was the last guy who had been cut. Uh, and uh, my agent kind of told me, so you have to go down there. And uh, I only, I think I spent like 12 days up there on the rock, but I only played two games. We only had two games at the time. So, and the agent told me like, yeah, you have to go up there, down there and uh, just uh, play a couple of games. So they were making, a, I guess they were making room for me on the Leafs lineup because I know I got called up on a game four or five, I think, up mm -hmm. because uh, 
I'm not sure who it was, but I think it was Steve Sullivan or maybe uh, Todd Warner got traded. So he'd been traded, and then I got called up right away. So, and uh, so that was my first year. And then uh, after my, so I, unfortunately, at the my third or, uh, playoff game that year, so I hurt my knee, so ACL, and I recovered pretty much all summer, and then start playing this my second year in the league. So I wasn't really. You know, like 20 years old, injured, so kind of like was something in the back of my head. So I wasn't mentally, I guess, prepared for that. Uh, for, and uh, I got sent down back again for, I don't know, they never told me for how long, but I played uh, 34, I think, or 30, yeah, 34 games up there. Uh, adjusted, so recovered from the injury, got my confidence back, felt really good, you know, and expecting call-up anytime soon and then uh, in fe- uh, actually no end of January we went on a road trip and I uh, hurt my second my other so first so my second ACL not the same leg but the not the same knee but the different one so I, that was my uh, first two season in North America two ACL surgeries so, so now as a, as a 20 year old kid going through the league the first time what did you you must have learned to live about it about the league or maybe heard a little bit like what was it like going to some of the rinks like Montreal or Philadelphia for the right like were players challenging you as you went through the league as a player I didn't know that at the, my first two three four years probably so I, I kind of get to know that yeah on the, I would say probably fourth third to fourth maybe to fifth year in the league that's when I start you know uh, like I said when my first year my first two three years in the, in Toronto it was six or seven Russians in a team all mm-hmm. the time so I didn't really have to so it kind of slowed down my English learning process which is minus but the good thing was like I mean it was easy for me I just go and ask this guy what, what this guy said can you say this you know so I kind of lean on this Russian guys <laughs> mostly so Igor Korolev took, took me under his wing you know so yes. it was really really good and it was Sergey Berezin, Danny Markov, uh, Yuskevich, Karpovtsev, uh, McGilney Panikarovsky. So, and then all of them didn't get resigned or got traded, and it was only me and McGilney. And that's when reality kicked in. <laughs> you know, so I, like, I could understand pretty much everything, but to express myself, so that it took me a little bit longer. But then, once your English barrier or English language got better, my my English got better. So now you start hearing all this. Oh, the Philadelphia, you go there, so you're going to get pounded, you know, every time. Even, even my, in my first two, three years, that's exactly. They had a probably biggest team in the NHL. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you go to Montreal, that's a huge rivalry, right? And then my first two, three years, we had a really good series, a couple of playoff series against Ottawa. So that became a rivalry. So you learn as you go, you know, but like first two, three years, yeah, just regular, different city, same NHL game. That's how I tried treating it. Well, Boris Salming told us that his first time playing in Philadelphia, he had no idea. He gets in a fight with a guy and he comes off in between periods and said, do you have any idea who you just fought? And he said, no, who? And he said, that was Dave Schultz. He's the toughest guy in the league. And Salming went, oh, but he had no idea. That and after that, he had seven, no Yeah, that was for so that for me so, it was kind of turning point that not turning point but the same kind of accident happened not accident but same happened to me we played home against New Jersey 
I think, and I believe it was my first year, and uh, we played against New Jersey. So obviously Camden Echo and uh, Scott Stevens, right? So yes. I had no idea who they were and stuff like that. So I dumped the puck and I stick Scott Stevens corner and I ran him in the boards like as hard as I could, like just like scrap, like killed him, right? And then uh, the next, so I went in the ba- back on a, <laughs> I went back on a bench and uh, Dmitry Yuskevich. He told me like buddy like what are you doing i'm like i'm just finishing my check he's like well just to keep your head up for the rest of your career he told me <laughs> i'm like wait what's what's happening so then i had to he's like yeah just youtube him afterwards so i went home i youtube him and then i see all these big hits on lindras and <laughs> everybody i'm like oh man <laughs> The, uh, so you come in and, and not knowing all that, and, and you're playing for Pat Quinn, like how was your relationship with Pat? Oh, I think he, he was the best thing happened to me. Like he believed in me. Like I said, I mentioned I had my first four to five years in the Leafs. I have been like, like I said, first two years, two ACL surgeries. Then uh, I think on average, my first four, if you look at my stats, I would say first six, five to six years in the league, I played no more than like 57 games, I think, each year. So I've been hurt a lot. And uh, normally, like, obviously back in the day, I didn't know that. But normally, like, you injure prone, so they, they would either trade you or get rid of you. You know, you know how it works, right? So, it, so they wouldn't yeah. give me another chance, but I had so many chances. Pat believed in me, and uh, I guess when I matured a little bit more, so obviously Pat was but uh, now and then I start playing better so overcome injuries and all this stuff with defense at the time because they were booing me because I was constantly injured and stuff like that <laughs> but Pat yeah Pat played a huge role like in my uh, in my first four or five years in the league like he believed in me and I'm one of the best coaches I played for 100% hands down yeah now um, I was going to say to you the you, you, you came in with no preconceived ideas about playing in Toronto or what the league was like. And we, we've established that's probably a good thing. But after a while, and especially when you went on the road, it must have dawned on you about playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs and that relationship with the fans, because the fans are so passionate. And you must have noticed after a while that every rink you would go into, there would be blue and white sweaters, there would be fans, and it would be sometimes it was almost like a home game. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. It didn't kick in to me, or it did kick in to me around like my sixth year in the league. Like then I start real. Like I said, after I start communicate with guys more and hearing the stories and stuff like that, you know. So that's when it's, you start kind of uh, like a sponge, you know, observe everything. Like yeah, you go to yeah. this league, or I mean, you go to this game or city or this city. So you, you got yeah. There is a lot of history in every, each building, right? And uh, yeah, everywhere we went, like you said, it was like always chance, goalies go, no matter what it is, Montreal or Ottawa or yeah. in Detroit, especially down south, like Florida, you know, all the southern states. Yeah, there is always uh, blue and white everywhere. And then even like I said, like even in Montreal, in Ottawa, in Chicago, sometimes you play and you hear goalies go. So it, it's been, it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome to see, definitely. Squid? Yeah, no, it was... Uh... I remember, I mean, when I played, it was well before he played, obviously, because he was born when I was 
as That's you right. said, Mike, from Vancouver to Toronto <laughs> on that day, um, which actually pissed me off, by the way. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, hey, and I'm older than you, so remember. how do you think I feel? <laughs> well, I can remember when, like, I mean, when I was playing in Vancouver and Toronto would come to town, I mean, Pacific Coliseum, I think, held about 15,000. And literally half the building were Leaf fans. And that was the same in Winnipeg and Edmonton and Calgary. And, and then as time went on, I think people realized or kids started caring for their home teams and, and certain players. And even now, like, you know, people cheer for L.A. because their favorite player plays for L.A. or that sort of thing. Uh, but still, no matter where you go, you see Leaf sweaters in the stands when the Leafs are in town pretty much every city. Well, I was going to say to you, Nick, 2004, 2005, the strike year, you go back to the Super League to play. So now after playing for a couple of years in National Hockey League, you go back, what was the transition like for you going back to that league after playing NHL? Maybe define for us, maybe some of the differences you noticed and maybe realize that this NHL is a pretty good league and it is a pretty up at the elite level as far as, you know, living conditions, you know, travel, the perks and everything that went with it. Did it really then sink into you going back to the Super League? Uh, not at that lockout year. I was, like I said, it was, I was still 24, 24 going into my 25th year, you know, like, and I was still young and tried to establish myself as a regular NHL player, right? So I wasn't coming in at the level of like yeah like played like 15 10 years in the league already coming back like, oh no i meant just the difference in play between the two no, no i know yeah. I, and i was like i said it was i was still trying to like i came into the uh russian or khl or russian super yeah. league at the time and i was still i thought in my mind i was still had to prove a lot so i wasn't understand like, it was yeah so i didn't notice at that time yet it was a big yeah. difference on the ice and in terms of playing, but yeah, like travel and all this perks come with it, hotels and stuff, obviously it's a huge difference. But my second lockout, or well, when I went there second time in 2013, 14, that's what I noticed before difference in the game, right? So how much it's faster, it's better, uh, better players and stuff like that. And it's faster, right? So, but at that time, yeah, or four or five, I, like I said, I was still trying to, Establish, establish. Who I am. Yeah, establish. establish yourself. Yeah, exactly. It's great. You got a question for him on that, establishing yourself. Yeah, just yeah, just like he had to do with the alumni. <laughs> 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 no, he was he, probably the best sentiment I've had on the alumni because he's so much younger and I just give him the puck. But if I got a funny story because he kept looking to pass all the time, pass all the time, pass all the time. But I'm watching him shoot the puck in the, and when we're warming up and everything. And I think, wait a minute. So he said to him, I said, Nick, why don't you just shoot the puck more? Like, you got a great shot. So anyway, next shift, he goes out. Boom. Bar down. Another one after that. And I said to him, I said, you know, God, if I had to coach you, I said, you probably would have been a 30 to 40 goal scorer every year. <laughs> he, just, he started laughing. And, but, uh, you know, he did have a good shot. And, uh, you know, but I think, and maybe that was when you came into the National Hockey League, that was your thought process was pass first and All shoot second. All the time. Yeah, every which, coach that I played, yeah, every coach that I played under starting since I was nine, you know, minor Adam and back in Russia. Uh, every single coach that I played for, 
it's been uh, always on me. You have to shoot the puck more. You have to, because like you said, like I've been a pass first. I grew up in, a, you know, USSR. That's big rice surface, a lot of rice. So we, we try every time we get into the zone or through the neutral zone, it's always have to be tic-tac-toe, back to the D, back to you, bam, 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 empty net, tap in. That's how, you know. Yeah. And, and when you get to the NHL level, obviously everything faster, bigger guys, stronger guys, not enough room. But yeah, they give me shit every every coach that I played for. Yeah, give me shit for not shooting the puck enough. Now you you didn't, um, you didn't listen. You didn't listen to me. I didn't. To me I, I didn't understand. I didn't understand English back then. <laughs> <laughs> I blame everything on that now. Now you 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 listened one year because in 2008 you had a very good year. You got a new contract, but those injuries kept nagging away at you. And then in 2009 of March or March of 2009, you get moved to New York. Now, how did that whole day unfold for you getting traded like that and then ending up in New York City? Um, actually, coming into that year, so I had a pretty good year pre previous year. That's right. And then, so, uh, like I said, like after my seventh, eighth year in the league, so I, I guess I grew up into my body. I matured more, so I started playing like I was supposed to, you know. Like, I figured it out on my sixth year. So, I like, like Squid said, I was trying to pass all the time, but then I... I look at a few videos of Dave Andre Chuck and stuff like how he he wasn't the fastest guy. He was bigger guys, but he wasn't the fastest. So I kind of refer myself to him, you know, a little bit. And I mean, he scored like what three, almost 400 some goals, right? I guess. And then I just started kind of analyzing what he was doing. And then it's just simple. So then I figured it out. So I got to go in the net and just spend time there. Yeah, there is bumps and bruises, you know, tough area to go in, but if you think about it, there's 70 or 65, 75% of puck or shots end up by around the net, right? And being six foot mm -hmm. four, or I mean, six foot six and, uh, you know, 230, 200, 235 pounds, it's <laughs> for some of the defensemen, it's not easy task to move, especially when the rules change, right? In 2004, like, so no hooks, no grabbing, nothing like that. So I realized that and I started spending uh, more time around the net, you know, trying to tip spark every game. Oh, I mean, every practice working on that stuff. And it bring me a little bit of a success. And then going into that uh, year when Brian Burke came in, so I, I already knew like before even game number one, I knew I'm going to get moved. It's my last year. I've been here almost 10 years, you know. Uh, so I kind of in the back of my head, I knew I'm going to get moved. So that day, that's the only season I could have played full 82 games scheduled, you know, and then they scratched me just night before the New Jersey game at home because uh, they, I guess they reached the deal with the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> so the funny thing, yeah, so I came into the game. So I'm in my locker room taking my suit off and then one of the coaches is like, yeah, some coach wants to talk to you. I'm like, so I, I already knew, right? So so it's like, yeah, you're not you're not on the lineup tonight. You can go home. I'm like, fuck. Like, tell me that two hours fucking earlier, right? So I don't have to drive all the way. <laughs> so, and uh, I was one of the usually I was one of the first guys in a locker room before the game. And then so I put my suit back. I go to the underground parking garage, and all the guys start coming in, you know, into the game. I'm like, hey, where are you going? Like, I'm like, yeah, good, it was good playing with you. See you, <laughs> see see you around. So. And then the next day, so I sat, I put uh, TSN or Sportsnet, whatever it was, and I just watched the uh, the whole day of uh, trade deadline. There was nothing happening. And then like two, 
like four or five minutes before the deadline actually so they uh first actually i saw it on tv that i been traded to the rangers and then about a minute after 45 seconds after that uh, brian burke called me and said yeah you're a ranger now thanks for the service but that's how it went nice and simple <laughs> <laughs> well you know now so, you go from playing in toronto so you go from uh, a mega hockey city to the city in new york that must have caught your attention playing in that city uh, yeah, I um, actually, to be honest, I didn't really like uh, like New York, like going in for a couple of games, a uh, couple of days, you know, a night before a game and then you, you go and eat nice dinner, you know, at a nice restaurant somewhere and then the next day you play and then you out. So I didn't really like New York that not didn't like, but I never get to experience to live in New York more than right. two, three days. Right. So. And then being traded to New York, so obviously I, I lived in uh, in Manhattan. They put me in Manhattan in the hotel there, and uh, uh, it it was awesome actually. I <laughs> I enjoyed my time there. It was it was great. Uh, everything, anything you want is there, you know. But I don't know. I can't say about anything about it. It was it was it was awesome. It was a good experience, and I went from non-playoff team at the time to the into the like battling or seventh place or whatever we end up made the playoffs this year uh, that year and uh, had a really nice series against uh, Washington at the time we lost in game seven unfortunately but uh, yeah it was it was good like it was like you said it's it's original six team you know and uh, yeah. organization been nothing but uh, first class as well so it was it was it was great well I was gonna so say after that, oh, go ahead squid go ahead squid so after that you become a free agent yeah. And you go to, of all places, Atlanta. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah. okay, well, why would you go to Atlanta when maybe, or was that the team that was most interested or showed the most interest or, or because it was an expansive franchise? What were your reasoning for going to Atlanta, which actually ultimately brought you back to Winnipeg? That's uh, that's a great question, Scoot. I honestly never even thought about it before you asked me that. <laughs> but honestly, the process, the process of the free agency, <laughs> I know. So the pro, so I get. See, I never, I, I never got to be a free agent in my career. So, which is a good thing, maybe. No, <laughs> you always, you always been. Oh no, no, that's that would have been good. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, the pro. So I talked. So I guess yeah, they were more interesting. But the the reason, main reason, like Ilya Kovalchuk called me, uh, you know, a week before the free agency or so, or so, and he asked me, hey, I really want to play. Like, what do you think if to coming over and play with us? You know, with me and and, uh, and uh, you know, like when uh, one of the best best players in the in the you know in the world at the time. You know, asking you this, uh, you, you don't. I don't think you think twice. You know, so I thought an opportunity for me as well. You know, uh, it's a young team. You play. You will be first, second line. You know, center playing with Kovalchuk, power play. So all the opportunities that any player dream of. You know, power play, shorthanded, like you you name it, right? So twenty plus minutes per game. So with the best player, one of the best players in the world. So that that was the process of me you know and then we picked up a couple more guys so i thought we had a really competitive team and that year was i think we missed the playoffs by like three four points i believe i could be mistaken but something like that so 
And then we signed the Finneganov, and that was the one of the best lines in the NHL that I played for. Like it was a co-worker. So beside Mats and uh, obviously Mats and Dean and Pani Karavsky, yeah. so that would be another line that I really, really enjoyed that year. So I think I had my best points per game, some uh, points uh, in the league. And uh, me, Max, and Finneganov being Russian, so we, we played that trying to play the tic-tac-toe, tap in, back door, you know, hockey. <laughs> so, and uh, we did it. I thought we did really well. It's unfortunate uh, uh, we didn't uh, we didn't make the playoffs, but I thought it was a good opportunity for me. So that was my basically a process, uh, process. So you go from Toronto, which is uh, the mega, again, we've mentioned again, the mega yeah. hockey, to the mega city in New York. You go to Atlanta, which you're pretty much unknown. It's not a big hockey town. Then you come back to Canada, Winnipeg, smaller version, Canada what was kind of the difference between all the cities you played in through that whole process you found as a well, player well the major I would just have to eliminate uh, I mean not eliminate but I just have to yeah Atlanta was the difference right like completely different than New York uh, Toronto yeah, or uh, yeah. yeah everything else yeah you're back in a Canadian market with the Winnipeg Jets you know uh, fans were eager to have it to have a team back for 16 17 years right they didn't have a hockey so and uh, that experience was another highlight of my career, definitely. This, especially the first year in Winnipeg, it was phenomenal. It was unbelievable. So Atlanta, like I said, yeah, it's a little different. Like down south, there was like five, six thousand fans every year. I mean, every game. But uh, through actually through through Atlantean fans, or you know, like they were there every day in day out, you know, every game. But there wasn't enough support. Was something going on between the ownership or something like that? So the team didn't survive, obviously. But uh, yeah, the Winnipeg was was unbelievable. The first year, every play, every home game was like a playoff series, you know, like whiteouts and chants, and you can hear you can hear like five kilometers away. You've been outside, you know, like go go Jets, go and stuff like that. It was awesome. Well, I know that uh, the first year they made the playoffs, uh, they played Anaheim with the new team and I, I had clients there. So I took a client, took me to the game and he said to me, you got to bring a white shirt. So I said, well, okay. And so anyway, he brought one for me regardless. And I wore it. We're having dinner underneath the rink and it's mm-hmm. like six o'clock and the warm up, I think at that time was going to be like a quarter to seven or seven o'clock or something like that. And I could hear all this rumbling and chanting and stuff like that. And I said, what is that? Like, where's that sound coming from? He said, that's come from inside the rink. I said, but they're not going on the ice for 45 minutes. And I went inside. He goes, let's go inside. Went inside the rink. And it was three quarters full. And it was full by the time we sat down. This is a half an hour before the warm-up. And they're chanting and screaming. I, I mean, I'd never heard anything like it in my life. It was know, incredible. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I get it. I'm going to bring a computer one second. I think my phone's are home. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Pause for a second there. Just, uh, no, no, no. You're good. Yeah, I just, I just want to make sure my dog will run away. Oh, okay. good. I don't know how it happened. It's windy. Sorry. Back to normal. Okay. Squid, you're up. Yeah, so um, you go to Winnipeg, and uh, I mean, but then you, you end your career back in Russia. Like, was that just a, a, a situation where you couldn't catch or couldn't get anybody here to sign you or whatever, or was there opportunities still here in North America 
but you decided to go back and finish uh, your career at home? No, not not quite the way you're saying, but uh, so I had a so I had a hip surgery my last year in Atlanta. So I played only 72 games. So it's been bothering yeah, me. How many, how many damn surgeries did you have? Yeah, few. <laughs> so let's count. I think I need 10 of your fingers as well to count. So yeah, <laughs> couple ACLs, uh, I think three or four meniscus uh, scope surgeries on each knee after that. Uh, and a hip wow. surgery. So <laughs> at least 10, at least 10 good ones. So. And then, uh, anyway, so that last year in Atlanta, so I played on the painkillers, like uh, my whole, like, so I think it was 72 games. And then uh, when we uh, knew, like, I think it was like eight games or eight, 10 games left. So we, we weren't making a playoff. So they shut me down. So I talked to the ownership. So listen, I've been playing on the painkillers every game, right? So it's obviously been doing tests and everything, blood, so everything was fine, but uh, I'm like, there is no reason, you know, like, we're not in the playoffs, we're not making playoffs, so so I went and uh, uh, did a surgery in Nashville, and uh, it took me almost, uh, took me like almost, then coaches changes, you know, after that, so Greg Ramsey comes in, I don't think he was a big fan of me, so I, I, I think I was ready, you know, like I did the surgery, like Home, like at the beginning of April and it's been more than six months obviously right so April, May, June, July, August, September so I was ready at least 85% like in my mind I was ready 85% to start the season so he cut me he not benched me but he didn't dress me for the opening night you know and you know you're not ready so he, he didn't dress me for a couple of nights for first two games then I started playing so it was slow season for me you know at right at the end I kind of picked it up a little bit and then uh, we moved to the Winnipeg and I was still kind of nagging like first year was okay but second year was kind of still nagging pain you know like and I didn't perform well so it was obviously my points uh, dropped and uh, and uh, anyway so we waited till July 1st uh, and you know, Squidward, oh, you don't know. you never been a free, free agent, so you don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, that would be my, yeah, so that was my second free agency at, at the time. And then uh, usually all the stuff happening, all the signings, 90% of the signings happening within the first two, three, four days maximum, right? So July 1st to be maybe 5th. And then after that, it's quiet. Up until almost end of August or September, right before training camp, if somebody get injured. So, so first four or five days, or even a month after the July first, there was nothing happening. You know, it was quiet. And I then uh, the Russian team called me and uh, told me, yeah, there is like you have to you have like twenty days to make a decision. And I and I, you know, we sat down with my wife and talked about it. And I waited all yes and no's, you know, and. Uh, so I thought at the time for me, if I, I was at what, 35, 35 years old, yeah, 33 years old, you know, not a, and league went younger at the time, started getting younger. And I didn't want to take a chance and sit till September and possibly till October without the job, you know, mm-hmm. possibly, right? And then yep. uh, I, I took up on that offer for two years and that's hoping, you know, playing two years and uh, go back and maybe I finish a season or two with the NHL team, you know, on the minimum, whatever, it didn't matter. It wasn't about the money, but 
on my second year in the KHL, I blocked a shot and had another surgery <laughs> on my wrist. So, <laughs> and that's, uh, and then I joined alumni and play with the uh, squid. <laughs> well, in between there somewhere, Nikki, you, um, you must have, you maybe knew, didn't know very much about Canada or the NHL when you came over here, but you must have learned something over the 10 years because you became a Canadian citizen. I think, uh, yeah, ask me anything. That test for Canadian citizenship, I was sweating for three months when they sent me that book <laughs> about Canadian history. Oh, my God. Like, like <laughs> I probably know more than you, Squid, about Canadian history. You know what? You probably do because <laughs> when, I w- when I was in school, we learned more about the U.S. than we did Canada. Really? I, I was shocked. It was like... I mean, we, we learned about the Civil War and, and I mean, yeah. everything in the U.S., but we didn't learn a whole lot about Canada. I, I was shocked, but, you know, <laughs> I, uh, uh, but I grew up here and lived most of my life in Canada, so I know, I know enough about it. <laughs> yeah. No, so now, Nikki. No, it was, it was, it was. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, one of the things I was going to say to you about, uh, about uh, the team concept of uh, playing in Russia and Canada, hockey players are hockey players. So there's kind of this mantra about players, about bonding and team concept. Did you notice any difference from coming over here as a young kid, even when you get a little bit older, about going out for a beer with a guy or going out as a team? Was that similar to what you're used to at home? You're pretty young at home, but same type Not of chance. concept. Not a fucking chance. Are you kidding me? You get fined right away. (laughs) 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 Oh, not a chance. So, like I said, yeah. So, before, yeah, like, we grew up, like, really, like, KGB style, right? Like, before, when I came in, before before I joined the NHL, that was, we've been working or skating or practicing 11 months a year. So, we had, like, 28 days off in the summer and then go back at it again. So, it was... uh, it was uh, quite an experience. It was like, yeah, when, especially when I uh, made that, well, get uh, landed back to Dynamo Moscow. That was the hardest preseason I've ever had in my life. Uh, like, I was like literally fainting at, at the time. So it was so hard. It was unbelievable. But uh, yeah, there was definitely no, yeah, if you want to have a beer at the time, yeah, you got to go and hide, like, run five kilometers away from where the coaches are. And I like, hide in the bushes, have a beer, and you better be back in 15 minutes, you know? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> well, that's a good that's thing they didn't have that for you, those rules, boy. You got, I don't think anybody would last Oh, yeah, I know. Well, it was a lot different even when I played than when Nick came in, too, because, uh, I mean, for us, it was like every day we went to lunch together as a team, uh, you know, hung out together, Sometimes that lunch, unfortunately, would last until the evening. And uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> had few of those too. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> Which is great. I, th- I think but, it's great. It's 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 a thing. Like yeah, it depends on the guy, right? So some guys like to get a little more points in them. Some guys just enjoying the company. You know, you're talking. You know, I think it's 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 good. But anyway, yeah, we didn't have anything in Russia. And I was gonna say that when uh, when I get back to to the KHL my second time, uh, and we try to so the the league changes and the coaches kind of start changing, so it, it's now it's a little bit better. So now can guys like coaches kind of trust players. So before you go like even even here before like my first two three four five years in the league, so you go to the camp to get back in shape. 
now if you see all all the guys are professional right so they come and they they put three months mm-hmm. work two months work so they all come back in shape to the camp so same was in russia so, so right now guys are actually working out in the summers so they're getting back in shape so the coaches kind of ease up a little bit there is a new wave of coaches so they start trusting guys a little bit more you know and uh, it's it's getting better in there 100 percent. well what about now your role with the maple leafs now well, tell us talk to us about that I, uh, yeah, so I'm an ice skill uh, consultant. So I mostly work with the uh, Marlies. So during the year, so on a normal year, so I usually come in. So I think we have a, yeah, we have a meeting on an eight. And then, uh, so they're back in town right now. So we have two or three development days. Like I think it's ninth and 11th right now. But on a normal, not non pandemic year, so it would be like twice, maybe three times a week when they're home. We have a development days for the Marlies. And uh, if Leafs needs me uh, or extra body, you know, like, uh, so I'd, I'd go there for like once or twice a, year, uh, a month, maybe on a normal year. So this year, been actually really enjoyed. So we've been working since Labor Day weekend. So that's their summer program, you know, starting in September because of the postponed season and everything. So, and then, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, what, well, since Labor Day, basically, yeah. So it's been uh, hard. So Leafs and Marlies, and usually we, we would have a prospect somewhere in between the draftees or the last year draftees, but this year we didn't. So it was, uh, yeah. So you go with one or two or five guys. It depends on the schedule, you know. It depends who, who wants to work on something. So I kind of, not responsibility, I would say, but my kind of jam. <laughs> yeah. So like down low play, you know, around the boards, wall collection, how you put your body or you hit somebody before, you know, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. uh, work around the net, stuff like that. So that's what I kind of mm-hmm. do. Well, I was going to say to you, I'm not, I don't want to be a pull of Mike Babcock. I know Squid's got a question for you too, but I don't want to be pulling a Mike Babcock here and you're Mitch Marner, but uh, <laughs> here goes anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> The players, the players for the most part, all do work hard. But you're working with these young kids. Are there are a couple that stand out to you that are working especially hard that that you're that have impressed you, and maybe of some of those kids, who can we look to as maybe somebody that it could be that next player to come up and be a factor with the Leafs? Uh, you know what? So, like, are we talking about Marley? Marley, yeah. Or the Marley, mm-hmm. yeah. So, well, there is the guys you're working with. Yes. Well. Like Nick Robertson, right? So, but he's a little bit different body shape than me. So he's a more faster player. So <laughs> I haven't really spent time with him much. But uh, yeah, I think well, last year he played a little bit in the playoffs, right, for his first goal and stuff. So I think he would be first candidate. Uh, there is uh, Adam Brooks already played, you know, so he's pretty good. There is a couple of older guys too, like Kenny Augustino or Tyler Gadet. Could uh, they've been veteran players, you know, on. A, on the Marley squad, but uh, I think they work extremely hard, like, and uh, I think they deserve an opportunity. But obviously, it's it's not up to me. But uh, there is a handful of you know young players coming up, and uh, it's it's up to them. It's nobody like we can only suggest and show and videos and stuff like that, and put a work on the ice. But at the end of the day, it's it's up to him how, uh, them how bad they wanted it. Right? It's great. How does that exactly does that work, Dick? I mean, they do you, does someone tell you what a certain player needs, or is it up to you to look at video and decide, like, okay, we need to work on this or we need to work on that, 
or does that come down from somebody else? Like, how, how does that all work? I, I never really understood that role. No, so basically, so like I said, so there's, a, I think it's nine development guys on a, on a, in our staff. So we have two skating coaches, Barbara Murphy and Randy Milani. So they do all the skating works with every guys. So it doesn't matter, six foot seven guys or five foot eleven guys, right? So it doesn't matter. So they do all the skating, like edges and stuff like that. And then we have a defensive shooting shooting not shooting but like all around coaches so i my role so yeah so i'm kind of working with the big boys club you know <laughs> so all the guys are my size or similar at least you know who likes like power forwards type of thing and then whoever it doesn't matter on the size whoever else wants to come out they can join the you know unless it's a really specific development day for these guys so we, yeah, we look through the videos and then coaches, obviously there is a, a lot of communication with, uh, if it's on the Leafs side, so with Sheldon, right? So he sees more things. So he's got all the videos and he, he knows during the game, watching the game, right? Like, yeah, this guy probably needs this, this, or this guy. So, and then same thing with Greg Moore and the Marlies. There is a, and I, that's only my second year, but uh, what hearing back from a development staff, they said, this is the best, one of the best years in terms of, communication around the uh, coach development staff and fitness staff and everything involved together right so that's how it's uh, it's one of the best year like last two years because a lot of communication before I think everybody was kind of on their own so now yeah so the coaches see stuff like things in the games and then they kind of talking to the guys something we got we got group chat there was like seven group chats like on a whatsapp now in terms of development so there is always something like yeah there's a video one guy oh look what he did this awesome or he could have done this oh okay so we can work on that so it's uh, a lot of communication between different de departments which is good so and it sounds like it, well, it's amazing yeah. hold on it's amazing yeah. that you, you talk about that nick because i remember when my son was playing in uh hartford which mm -hmm. was a rangers farm team they gave them all their own iPad, and the, and after every game, all their shifts would be downloaded onto their iPad. And I'm thinking, like, what? Like, first of all, you're in the American hockey league, and, but you're still getting that kind of, you know, personal touch to it. And I guess that's probably what they do is see that. They pass that on to you or something, and then it's like, okay, work with them on this. Oh yeah, like it's like in these days, yeah, there's unbelievable what those young kids, even prospects, right? Like they have BDV. Like I, I worked with the Russian guys as well, the prospects, and we just went uh, with through the video a couple of days ago with the first round this year. Amirov, he plays in the KHL, so they started mm -hmm. the playoffs now, and uh, yeah, the we had three or four meetings so far through the year with him uh, over Zoom like that and then show him the videos or what positive things, what he could work on. So the stuff they have right now, it's, I wish, I wish I was having when I break, break in the league. And then they imagine yeah. like, like I, I'm always saying like, obviously it's been what, six, seven years already since I retired from NHL, but like I could, you know, like always say like, if I had stuff like what do you guys have, like I would probably still play, you know? So it's it's the wow. unbelievable. There's so much information available and videos and clips. And if you want a particular thing, like there is an app right now, like I'm getting video, cutting a video for our meeting on the 8th. You can go and you can see every league in the world. 
every player that we've drafted, you can just you don't have to watch the game. You just click, 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 and you just watch his shifts, you know, and then he picks up good, yeah. or bad, or good things, and then send it to them right immediately. So the opportunity is unbelievable for them. It, like I said, it's up to them. Like they have everything. It's just how bad you want it. So it sounds like you're really enjoying it and you're, you're taking some pleasure in working with these players. Would you like to take this to the next step and get into coaching eventually at some point? I never thought about that. I'm not sure about coaching. So like I said, my mind, like I love what I'm doing right now. I'm enjoying it. I love being on the ice, showing things maybe, you know, and and then there was a couple of bloopers. <laughs> there. I was showing, I was actually shared on a, group chat with our development staff i was uh skating mikhaev for like seven minutes of showing him driller and i fucking wiped out right in front of him thank god it was only one guy <laughs> imagine it wiped out before in front of joe thornton fuck it would be like <laughs> so, so yeah it's yeah so i love what i'm doing so far so i haven't thought about anything else well, we got a couple of minutes left, and we want to thank you for joining us yeah. today, Nick. Just a couple of uh, – now, first off, speaking of young guys, I meant to ask you this earlier. There was a game in your younger years where you you had 26 points in a game against Iceland, I think it was. You scored 11. Got like, come on. What was that all about? So, yeah, I think it was 98. So, in that year, I think I played European Junior Championship, uh, World Junior Championship, and actually World Championship at the same – at the same year all in one uh season so what happened is so we used to play so not kazakhstan national team we used to play in because uh, asia oceania it's like a different division of because we now we, we weren't part of europe we still not but uh, that's where we used to play so we would fly to japan china or like uh, new zealand you know stuff like uh, australia so and then it was a tough times for us uh when the USSR break, well, after USSR breakdown, it was yeah. really tough times finding uh, funds and everything. So they uh, they moved us, or IIHF. I'm not sure how exactly it happened, but they moved us into the uh, European Championship. And obviously, you have to start from the bottom, Division B. Yeah. So, so we <laughs> we end up uh, going there. That was our age group, uh, 1980 born. So we we end up going there, and I remember we were. So the teams were Iceland, so that Iceland, so that's where we won 63 nothing. Then 63. Luxembourg, yeah, 63 nothing. <laughs> yeah. So Come on, really? oh yeah, yeah. So we had Iceland, Luxembourg was the host team, so we could have probably beaten more than 63 nothing. But our oh. coach told them just ease up on them, so we only won 60, uh, 40, 43 nothing or something like that. Oh, that God. was a second because they were host of the tournament. And then, so the final, so it was Team Spain, Netherlands, and uh, I can't remember somebody else. So I think we played against Netherlands in the finals, and it was like 18 1, something like that. But that was the game 63 nothing. Yeah. So that's when it was, uh, I think it was 11 goals with 15 assists, something like that. And uh, I mean, it was so bad. Like, like we came into the tournament, it was, we were nervous, like, shit, it's like a new thing for us. You know, we got to, you know, represent our country. And then, fuck, we come on the ice. It was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, let's, you know? <laughs> so, so, so their goalie, like, let's put it this way their goalie, after we shoot or miss the net, or he, or we, he didn't, he wasn't making a save unless we hits him. He goes down, you know, made a save, and then he had to turn around, grab a crossbar, 
and lift himself up back and, and then you know so that's how bad it was so i wouldn't even brag about it so <laughs> it was funny moment but yeah like it's nothing well 63 nothing i don't think i've ever heard a score like that before so that's a first to me i don't know oh. about you squid but that's a first for me i think we, we well other than other than a basketball or football game <laughs> not a hockey game that's for damn sure <laughs> i think it's more like somebody beat us now we, we used to own uh or hold the uh, world guinness record for that score and uh, if you look at it now i think there's some bigger scores right now oh really Some somebody passed us <laughs> yeah so now who is your favorite teammate your funniest teammate you ever play with now teammate and, yeah teammate oh uh, well there's there is always few personalities in the team each team that i played on but uh toronto well, well let's say I one of the we always ask the guys the pranksters the guys who played the pranks i probably would be me <laughs> <laughs> I, I like being there like yeah i did once against Idomi. i i cut his sticks you know like skills competition we used to hold uh well, leafs holding canadian teams holding like all-star game yeah, and that was my first or second year. Obviously, I didn't speak any English, and one of the somebody came in, hey, cut tie sticks, because he was participating in a me and him was participating in a hard shot competition. So I'm like, yeah, fuck, I'll do it. So I cut his sticks, all his four sticks in the rug, just just enough so he can, you know, obviously he came in, take a first stick, he break it, second, fourth, fifth, so he didn't get any shots on it. So you know, eleven thousand people were laughing at him. So the next day, <laughs> the next day I came in, in the dressing room, practiced, uh, went into the shower, went into my stall to get my clothes. It's fucking gone, right? All my clothes, like shoes, like it was winter, right? January. So all my like Canada goose, like everything. So I'm like, fuck, I'm looking naked in a dressing room. Like, where is my shit, right? <laughs> and then one of the trainers, after like 15 minutes of me running around there, was like, yeah, go check the hot tub. So all my shit was in the hot tub. <laughs> So obviously somebody told him that I did uh, cut his stick, so he threw my shirt, threw my clothes in the hot tub. So I had to spend two more hours, extra hours, on hot the rink waiting until it dries. Now, did you Funny get Karofsky was good, yeah. Yeah, he was another one. That, yeah, he was a good guy. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but um, so now, I guess uh, we were told many times by people that uh, one guy you don't prank is Ty Domi because he'll never let he'll get you forever. Oh no. Now, he used to say, uh, I'll fucking slash your tires. If you do something to me, I'll slash your tires. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was his line. Or or another one, like, I'll make, uh, what's, Squid, you heard probably that. Like, I'll break your jaw, you're going to eat through the straw for the rest of your life or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, similar, yeah. You want to oh, you want to eat through the little... straw for the rest of your life? <laughs> that's, that's his line. Yeah, isn't that going a little bit extreme, like, Cutting the guy's tie. <laughs> oh fuck! I know. Yeah, like I'm like fuck. Any anything? Yeah, throw my clothes in the hot tub. I don't care. Like that would be the suck, right? That would be like. <laughs> oh, I'll slash your brutal. tires. <laughs> well, we told the story about uh, Glenn Healy. Told us on on the podcast that he was talking to a player one time from uh, New Jersey beside the Leaf bench, and the guy was just wishing him a Merry Christmas and shaking hands. And Domi walked up and decked him because he thought he was chirping the bench. And Healy said, what are you doing? He was wishing me Merry Christmas. And he said, well, he shouldn't be talking to us anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's type for sure, yeah. So that's him. So that, that God bless him. <laughs> well, um, Squid, you got anything else before we let to Nick go? I know he's got to run to it. I was going to ask you, Daniel, is he still playing? Your yeah. Son? Yeah, we have time. I have another 10 minutes if you have. 
Fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah that's all. Yeah. yeah. So he's, uh, yeah, we, he's just waiting for before uh, is going to start or not. So he's been off since you and me since March. So he hasn't yep. played a game. He's done two preseason, you know, uh, routines already <laughs> for nothing. Uh, and then, uh, so he's the last word what I heard, they, 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 I think they have a meeting, like OHL have a meeting this week or next week. But they were planning to reopen the league on uh, April 2nd or 4th, something like that. But it has to go through the government approval again, right? So there, there is no strict word for him. But he kind of sucks. Most likely going to PEI University next year. Oh, is he? Oh, UPI or what? University of Prince Edward. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So and, they've uh, been chasing him down. So I think I think it's pretty much a done deal. Hon. I'm not gonna announce it look. officially, but I think that's what uh, he. Yeah. UPI, right? He'll love UPI. it there, yeah. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah, he'll love it That's there. That's in Charlotte, and, uh, right? They look the after their the, yeah. in Charlottetown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Charlottetown, yeah. yeah so, and uh, so, but I mean, he'll love it yeah, there. The people there level. love. Well, what I was going to say to you yeah. now, that um, of all the guys you played with, who are some of the players that you admired? Non-Russian players, guys you watch play over here, and just their right. whole work ethic, the way they carried themselves on the ice, the way they carried themselves off the ice. The term today is used being a real pro. Who are those guys that you played with over the years? As you, so, yeah. Uh, well, it was it would be in Toronto would be hands down like Matson Dean. He was he he actually learned. I learned so much from him, like on the ice, but mostly from the like from off the ice. It was a true professional, you know, and the way he worked and everything. It was uh, it was uh, quite a you know eye-opening for me when I get older, when I start communicating with the guys more and uh, his work ethic was unbelievable. So it would be the maths and being hands down. And then uh, I'm sure that every team had a guy like that, right? But now being on the development staff for uh, uh, the, especially this year, the work Jason Spezza put in this year, this summer, it was, mm-hmm. it was fucking unbelievable. Like he was the, he was there since Labor Day weekend, and every day or five, six days a week, every day working his butt off. It was, I mean, you can see now it pays off. So the guys are like, uh, all the young guys, like amazed. Like, and I always talking to the young guys and stuff. I like, well, you never know. Like, look at the Jason Spezza, right? He wants to quit last year because of Babcock or whatever, whatever happened there, right? Didn't play him or didn't put him on the opening night and he was this close to said yeah fuck it but he stuck with it put up a lot amazing work this summer worked his butt off and still plays in a high level three assists last night well, it certainly shows in the way he's playing and you mentioned a name a while ago a guy that I played with in Buffalo and I have no idea where he is but Greg Ramsey I've been asked so many times, who's the best all-around player you ever played with or against? And, of course, you know, the natural thing would be Wayne Gretzky or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But for me, it was Alexander McGillney. And I never saw a guy that could handle a puck at a high speed like him, a guy that could go from zero to top speed in two strides. I mean, he was 
in my mind, he had everything. He, he could do anything that you asked him to do out there. Well, yeah, you guys said no Russian players, so I didn't mention him, but... Oh, okay. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I just made But yeah. uh, No, but he came in Toronto, yeah, like almost after the end of, like, towards the end of his career, so his back wasn't in a great shape, but he was on, like Squid said, he was unbelievable. So he had a seven sticks length, so seven different sticks, starting from, like, up to here and then finishing up. So it depends how his back feels that day. So he would choose the stick. So if it's his back like really bad, so he'd get a longer stick, right? So he doesn't have to butt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and if he's feeling good, so he grab a shorter stick. He can go and change skate during the intermission. So you'd go in a bower skates, yeah. fucking like, oh, fuck bullshit, you know? Give me this pair of CCM skates. So it's put a brand new out of box CCM skates for the second period or Eastern skates, whatever. It doesn't matter at the time. And fucking go and score two goals, or like yeah, he, comes he in, incredible. never skated in the summer. Yeah, never skated back in Russia in the summer during the summer. Comes in like five days, four days, or seven days before camp. Skate twice, and he would be like best fucking player in there. It was it, it just <laughs> unbelievable. I had to like bag he, myself he for like seven uh, for like uh, nine uh, nine weeks, right, three months to get back in the shape. He comes in just yeah, casually. Uh, I'll wear a fucking bowers today, but I'll give me like fucking like Reebok <laughs> stick, right? <laughs> it was so easy for him. Well, I, yeah, uh, I agree. I always said he was probably the best player I ever played with or against. And uh, to this day, I still stand by that. Well, when he came into Toronto, he was probably the most skilled player to ever play for the Maple Leafs during that era, as far as talent oh, goes. And I would say that the thing about him, now today, a lot of players, McDavid and all these other guys can do this. He was one of those guys, and you guys can probably clarify this because you were on the ice a lot of times. Um, he skated faster with the puck than he did without it. And he was one of the few guys that could really do that. In my eyes, anyway, I don't know what you guys thought. It was the next level. He would hit so smart, right? So the smart and skilled player. So he, he's got everything com in, in his, like, combined, right? So, yeah, he would, he would like, do nothing for, like, one or two shifts and then all of a sudden just like bam like got the puck he knows he's gonna score like yeah I, he can he almost score like uh, he can almost cold when i'm okay i'm gonna go and score now watch stuff like that no it's like it was amazing but yeah squid probably i played a little bit a little bit with him actually how many years do you play with him squid i played with him for two or three years and he was still pretty young at that point and uh yeah I mean, I can remember where he would get it and he would take off. He would be going at such a high speed, one-on-one -on -one with a defenseman. And the next thing you know, the puck was in the net. And you had you, you didn't even see how he got around on it. It was that fast. Like He, he put it under yeah. a stick two or three times. And then yeah. the next thing you know, he's around the D man and it's in the net. And you go, hey, how the hell did he do that? Thank God for Jumbotron so you can see the replay, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't have Jumbotrons back then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got something at least, no? A little one. No, they had the ones with the, the little uh, lights. <laughs> oh, yeah. The bubble. The bubble. <laughs> yeah, no, it was amazing. Yeah, he Him coming down on the right wing on his off wing and then just, yeah, like you said, dangle it like yeah. between stick two or three times, change the angle and then like that wrist shot was like wicked, wicked too, right? Wicked. Oh, and then boom, it's yeah. in the net. And by the time defenseman turned around, see what happened. It was like 
he's already celebrating by the banquet. And can you can you imagine him, Murray, and Federoff Federoff played on the same line in junior? Like, can you imagine that line? <laughs> Playing in the National Hockey League at 21, 22 years old yeah. together, like it would be uncomprehensive to think of what they could do as a line. Oh, unreal. Yep. You know. Well, Nick, it's been a pleasure. I know you're off to a hockey rink as usual. Yep. Yeah. Gotta uh, get my little guy there. <laughs> loved having you. Uh, we'd love to. Just one final thought before you go. This edition of the Maple Leafs, what do you think? I think it speaks for itself so far, right? I yep. mean, uh, yeah, like, uh, this, this summer, like I said, yeah, or this offseason was uh, really different from since from the last one. So when Sheldon, Sheldon took over last year, halfway through the season, obviously, right? But the way the work headache now, everybody knows exactly their roles in the team and stuff, and everybody's skilled and even skilled players working like their asses off. It's... Uh, it's really nice to see, and I mean, you can see. Look at the standings and look at the results. It's, yep. it's showing so far. Fantastic. Well, guys, I said to Mike, I said, I there's only one team in Canada that I could see possibly even giving the Leafs uh, a goal in a playoff round, and that's Winnipeg. Other than that, yeah. I don't think anybody in Canada can beat them. And uh, they they're. The way they played in Edmonton, the way they shut down Edmonton's offense was was perfect. Like it was unbelievable. Like uh, oh, Sheldon Coley, yeah, it was like a yeah, like the guys were saying, it was like a almost like per, perfect game, right? Yeah, like first, yeah, yeah it was. You yeah. can't ask for better. No. Well, you gave up one goal in three games. That's a pretty good start right there. So I would I would say that's okay. Well, Nikki, yeah, want to thank you so much for joining us today. It was very enlightening. It was great. And uh, maybe we'll see you soon at uh, the Baycrest. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Okay. It. Thanks, Nick. Okay, Nick. Hopefully see next fall we'll be lacing yeah, it up together. Get your fucking getting ready. You got to get on the ice soon. <laughs> Let's get oh, those hips warmed up. Let's get those hips warmed up, man. <laughs> I'll need a okay, skills Nikki. coach. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Okay, Nikki. All right. See you guys. Thanks, Cheers. Man. Take care. I appreciate it. Well, I think our, our listeners are going to get a real treat to listening to Nick because he's one of those guys that I, I would su suggest that people aren't really well versed in what he is all about because he was a fairly quiet guy when he played here in Toronto, although he's a very big guy. But it just, you hear, you can hear it come out of him. Uh, you know, he's a Canadian citizen now, obviously, so he's ingrained himself into the, the whole culture of Canada and so on, working with the Maple Leafs just an all-around great guy and you could just see he had the right attitude for a guy coming to a strange country new language and all that stuff and it's just coming through in abundance listening to him talk i've gotten gotten the opportunity to get to know nick a lot more in the last four or five years playing in alumni games and so on and he's a great individual great person um he loves doing what he's doing as a skills development coach and what i love listening to him was the fact that he was talking about this year the communication between everybody in the in the maple leaf organization is better yes. than it's ever been yes and to me that goes along with you know how the team performs as well so i, I hearing that 
makes me feel pretty darn good about where this organization is going. No, you're right. And and we didn't know that. I didn't know that. Like, and he was talking about they have no. that eight-man group chats, including Sheldon Kiefer. They discuss this. They have the film footage they pass around, the analyzing of players and working on certain skills. The hardest working guys coming out. Uh, Jason Spezza leading by example, and he talked about that mm-hmm. and the results we're seeing on the ice now. Yes, all of it. It's it, it's very encouraging as, as a Maple Leaf fan or a booster to hear this because the team's being run really at an elite level, as it sounds like. Oh, absolutely, and uh, and you know what? It's, it's funny because it's one of the things that I always was the biggest on when I coached or whatever. Communication is so vital. to being successful. And now that you got the people behind the scenes that put everything together that are communicating better than they ever have, well, that that can only make things better on the ice. And, I mean, if you look at these past three games, uh, I I don't know if they could have played three better games than they did. Well, you know. It's all, it's looking up. No, but, you know, but but to your point, you know, it, from the sounds of it, it's like the organization has put these players in a position not to fail. Like this isn't bringing Bruce Boudreau up and playing him him driving a cement truck and then saying to him, well, he didn't produce. Well, what they're doing now is they're showing you on skill development or through film and footage. Here's what you've done when you're on the ice. Here's you individually. And and they're showing this and they got somebody working with them and they've got the sports medicine team and all that stuff. So there's no excuse for you not to have the best possible training facilities and everything available to you to make you better what you do for a living. And that, that applies to anything in real life. So why wouldn't it apply to sports? And the Leafs have picked up on that. And it, the, listen, the proof is in the pudding, as you can see with first overall in National Hockey League. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is you got to look at these, these guys are all assets. And you're paying these assets a lot of money. So you better put in the money into what Nick was talking about yep. and the, the medical care and everything else to make sure that these guys on any given day are at their best. And I mean, that's exactly it. It appears what they're doing. And, uh, you know, it's showing in the standings and, and the way some of the players that were castaways from other teams are coming in and doing a great job here. So I think it all starts at the top. And if you got good communication from there down, uh, like Nick was talking about, then, you know, you're going to have success. Well, as you all, you hear me refer to a lot, Bay Street, and the first thing you look at when you're investing in a company is management. And there's no difference in sports. Start right at the top, as you just mentioned, and you can see how it filters through the whole organization because it speaks volumes. And it doesn't matter what you do in this walk of life. It all comes down to that, and it starts right there. And for all those years, unfortunately for you guys, you know, we should actually have a dedication to you guys for what you actually, you, what you guys actually accomplished with what you had. I think it was remarkable in itself, <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's so nice to see. It's so nice to hear that. And, and by the way, Nick isn't the type of guy to soft soap anything. He calls it like it is. Oh, yeah. So yeah. for him to lay the praises on the players that he did, you know they earned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you can see it. I mean, Jason Spezza has played exceptional this year, so good that he actually played a point on the power play on the second unit. So, I mean, 
you know, th that shows that he put the work in and, and was, is dedicated to being the best he can be so that the team, you know, can have success. And you don't think for a minute. And, and he's not complaining. He's on the fourth line, basically. But he's not complaining. He's not saying that. He's just going out. He's doing his job. Well, I mean, the thing about it, too, is what you have to look at is the fact that a kid like Nick Robinson looks at him. He's 19. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, here's this guy, 37. He's established, made it, set for life, all that stuff. But look the way he's working. How can I yeah. look at myself coming into the rink and I haven't accomplished anything yet and not put in an equal effort? So it rubs off. Yeah, make it, absolutely. I mean, it, it is so critical that your veteran players are the guys that go and show the young guys the way that they're going to have to do it to be successful. And, you know, you got Joe Thornton, you got Simmons, you got Spezza, you got three guys that are, you know, probably great pros and exhibit that off the ice, in the gym and on the ice. So when you got that, there's no other way to do it than follow those guys and follow their lead. Well, I mean, all the signs are all pointing that to, to success and they're, they're enjoying the fruits of their labor right now, as we've been seeing the way things are resulting up in the scoreboard. So we'll watch with real interest. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they can continue this. You know, there's going to be a bump on the road somewhere, but it's how they recover. But all things are pointing to good signs moving forward, but they're working hard. So they're earning it. This isn't a fluke. So on that note, squid as usual. Another uh, interesting show, great guest. I think people are going to learn a lot, learn about a little bit of the inside of what's going on with uh, the Maple Leaf organization as a whole from Nick. We want to thank him for joining us. As usual, you can watch us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes. I know you love this one, Podbean. But, you know, we've got all the, your favorite podcast outlets we're available on. Look for Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Again, send us your notes, your questions, or anything you have pertaining to the show. And great. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again next week.